Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on the Fat-Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. How do you stay fit when you're trapped in somebody else's house? Today, we're here with exactly the right person to talk about it, Dr. John Berardi. Of course, Dr. Berardi is our friend. He's a fan favorite of this show. He's an author, Canadian-American entrepreneur, and he was named one of the 20 smartest coaches in the world, as well as among the 100 most influential people in health and fitness. No matter what life seems to throw at John, he somehow manages to keep himself, his family, and his clients in phenomenal shape. So I think you folks are going to like this one, especially those of you who are professionals out there working as coaches in the medical field, chiropractors. Um, so many of you are really going to appreciate this one because John has such a wonderful macro view of how to work with people, how to build companies. And right now, small businesses, you know, we need all the help that we can get. So it's really nice to band together and pool our resources. John has a lot to say, so I hope you appreciate this one. Now, before we get there, here's a note that just came in from Kevin. He says, hey, Abel, I've been a listener to your podcast for years. I'm glad you were able to overcome your health issues. My shipment came today, and I can't believe how good the collagen cocoa tastes. Truly amazing. I wasn't ready for it to be in such a big container, though. Ha ha ha. Thank you for the Mega Omegas, Future Greens, and Vitamin D stack as well. I'll also be trying your Adrenal stack for the very first time. Thanks again. Since I believe in your cause, I will continue to support both you and Allison through Wild Superfoods. Keep up the great content and stay healthy. Be safe out there. Thanks again from an extremely satisfied customer, Kevin. Hey, Kevin, man, thank you for the kind words. And you know what? You're not the only one who's who's written in with some really wonderful things to say about what we've been doing with Wild Superfoods. It's taken us a really long time. We used up pretty much all of our savings to get to where we are now, but we're so proud of the products that we have out. And Collagen Cocoa is one of our newest ones. And so many people have gotten in touch and they're just like, I can't believe how good this tastes. It tastes good enough that, that Allison has made some brownies using it as an ingredient. We're coming up with a whole bunch of just different desserts one of the things i like to do is just throw it into a bit of uh, i like you know plain full fat greek style yogurt if you put a little bit of that collagen cocoa in there whoo it's a whole different game and of course a lot of us already know how good collagen is for us especially from a clean source and these cows are raised on pasture as nature intended so we're really happy to be able to offer this and one of the other things that you brought up kevin is that with wild superfoods we err on the side of having big containers that are full of nutrients, full of food. You know, a lot of times when you order something, it'll come or you get it at the store. It's like the bag of chips effect where you just get this tiny little amount in the bottom. And a lot of supplement companies will do that. That's not what we do. When you order, especially Future Greens and Collagen Cocoa, you get a big, generous serving of the stuff that'll last you a while. And we're really proud of the way that it tastes and also how it shows up in your results and the way that you feel. Allison, myself, our family, our friends, and now uh, some of our customers have been taking Wild Superfoods for coming up on maybe even more than two years now, which is really exciting. But like I said, these are brand new, collagen cocoa, adrenal stack, the vitamin C options that we have. So I really encourage those of you who are here in the U.S. to go to wildsuperfoods.com to check those out. That's wildsuperfoods.com. And we're always running promotions and discounts, big discounts on our subscribe 
drive and save options on our bundles. So a lot of times you don't even need a special code. Just go to wildsuperfoods.com and I would encourage you to check out first if you haven't tried anything, Collagen Cocoa, Future Greens, and if you're looking for vitamin C, Fizzy C. And also, uh, you know, the capsules are very convenient as well. So we have some of those options. And just one quick note for those of you who are out there on the carnivore type diet or you're doing, you know, uh, one of the more extreme versions of keto, one of the things that I encourage when I'm working with people is for you to not give up a lot of your vegetables. You don't want to completely cut them out unless you're doing an elimination diet and you're working on some autoimmune issues. Uh, there are so many benefits from getting your greens in and getting a bit of fruit as well. If you're looking for group coaching or you'd like to interact personally with me, we have a few options for you, international or stateside, doesn't matter. Go to fatburningtribe.com to check out our group coaching and membership community. That's fatburningtribe.com. And then also, especially if you're on Patreon, uh, you can join our new group chat and group channel on Discord and Patreon. They're all hooked in together. If you don't know what that is, that's cool. Just go to patreon.com slash ableJames, A-B-E-L, James. Look up Abel James on Patreon. You can also go to the tip jar at fatburningman.com. Before I ramble on too long, mostly I just encourage any of you who are out there, don't be shy. Get in touch. You can also send me an email, Abel, A-B-E-L, at fatburningman.com. I do my best to get back to every single one of you. Obviously, easier said than done, but it's been so great to be back in touch with so many of you and to meet so many of you for the very first time. We are here to help. Now, without further ado... Let's go on to the show with Dr. John Berardi. We're talking about why the future belongs to the generalist, why we should commit to moving every single day, how to exercise after your career as an athlete is behind you, how to outsmart your brain, and tons more. Let's go hang out with Dr. Berardi. All right, folks, returning to the show today, Dr. John Berardi is a Canadian-American entrepreneur and co-founder of Precision Nutrition, the world's largest nutrition coaching, education, and software company. Over the last 15 years, John has advised Apple, Equinox, Nike, and Titleist, as well as the San Antonio Spurs, Carolina Panthers, U.S. Open champ Sloan Stevens, and two-division UFC champ George St. Pierre. John, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate that. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to reconnect. I really respect your work and have for many years. And one of the coolest things that's that's happened over the years, actually, since the last time you were on the show is many health professionals who I respect from many different directions have gotten in touch and just been like that John Berardi is on point. That was a great podcast. And so I just want to spread that around. If you are a health coach, professional, athlete, pretty much anyone, go and listen to that past interview because on point, once again, I totally concur. Yeah. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. It feels great to hear. And now there's a little bit of pressure that we have to deliver another amazing episode. Yeah, well, the stakes are higher than ever, it seems. But one thing that really stood out reading your new book, Changemaker, I, I enjoyed that, was, let's see if I can get the quote right here. In, in health and fitness, the future belongs to the generalist, not the specialist. And coming from you, I thought that was especially interesting. So maybe you can just start by riffing on that a little bit. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I mean, this comes from a, a deeper coaching philosophy that, you know, I believe that we've taught for years that 
quite frankly, we were part of like a new movement among health and fitness coaches and professionals that we call sort of client-centered. And nowadays people have heard of that and they, they know that they should be practicing that. But once upon a time, and you know this, you know, people who were personal trainers or strength coaches really believed in a my way or the highway approach. It was very coach-centered, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. I went and learned stuff about, you know, physiology and biomechanics and uh, nutritional physiology and biochemistry. And so if you want results, you're going to just do what I say. And if you don't do what I say, then you're lazy or you're not willing to put in the work. And uh, so it's you don't deserve it, right? And that was a paradigm that I grew up in in the fitness industry. You know, you had people, usually the people who were coaches were in great shape themselves. So they were just telling you to do what they did themselves, right? right? And so, I mean, we've learned, you know, uh, over the years, you know, borrowing best practices from change psychology and from positive psychology, that if we're going to reach a broader population, like more people who need the help, we need to put the client at the center of this exchange, not the coach. And the way I've often said it is, you know, it's kind of like if you if someone were to walk up to you at the gym and be like, hey, you're in fantastic shape. I'm curious, you know, after workouts, you know, what, what should someone like me do for post-workout nutrition? And so the coach-centered approach is, well, you know, I'm going to dump on you everything I know, right? So after workouts, you've depleted your glycogen and your protein synthesis is high, so you're going to need to take in a post-workout drink that contains these ratios of blah, 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 and that optimizes your blah, 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 right? And then the person's like, okay, cool, right? A client-centered approach sounds more like this. What do you like to eat after workouts? What kind of workouts do you typically do? What are your goals? And then you help bridge the gap between their goals, what they do currently, what they enjoy eating, and what might be a little bit more optimal for them. So you nudge them along the path. So that's the idea of client-centered. So the, the notion here is that if we are looking at everything we do as coaches through a client-centered lens, we quickly see that people aren't looking for a personal trainer or a nutritionist. You know, They're looking for someone to help guide broad changes in their lives that lead to them feeling better, right? Lead to them living a better life, right? So they're not coming to us for squats if we're a personal trainer. They're coming to feel better in their bodies, right? And only a generalist can do that. You know, someone who's deeply specific in biomechanics isn't going to help someone live a better life unless they have a broken knee and they're going to rehab that knee for the moment and then that person can be functional and move again. So if we are going to sit in this role of fitness, health, professional, we need to understand that sleep, stress management, mental health, physical movement, and nutrition all play a part. And if we can't at least speak intelligently to all those things, then folks aren't in the right spot, you know? Because alternatively, imagine someone goes to a, a physician and the doc says cholesterol is high you're 40 pounds overweight your stress levels are high you're not sleeping you know you, so you just run back pain run the gamut of issues that most people have what i just described is not anomaly that's like regular you know then what do they have to do do they have to go hire a back specialist a, a doc a nutritionist 
someone for you know physical therapy and someone for personal training. So now they have to hire five professionals. Uh, and then there's five different facilities they have to go to. I mean, this feels like running a small business, yeah. right? To, yeah, to totally. run your health, right? You have five employees, five part-time employees, five different workplaces that you have to go to just to lose some weight and get your back feeling better. That's crap. No one's going to do that. But that's the model we have now, right? So that's that's the quote, you know, the future does belong to the generalist, not in the sense that you're going to treat back pain and high cholesterol and prescribe a diet and help someone work out. But the idea is you have to speak intelligently about these things. You have to be educated on all these things. And uh, in some cases, you know, if you're a trainer or a nutritionist, helping with some sleep hygiene will help nudge that person forward. You're not acting like a sleep doctor, right? However, the other thing you can do then when you're fluent in these disciplines is if you notice a clinical problem, you go, oh, wait, this is a clinical sleep issue. Uh, and because I've done some training in sleep, I know who the sleep experts are and I know who to send this person to, right? So you're basically like the quarterback of this person's sort of health team, right? So you're going to run most of the plays, but once in a while you have to go to the specialist and you'll know them if you've studied that. And if you haven't studied that, you won't know who to send them to and you won't be helpful in that kind of role. So I really believe this is you know, what the future is moving towards, you know, the past was a lot about specialization. And there's a bunch of sociocultural reasons for that. But really, when we're talking about helping individuals with their health, you have to be kind of a generalist, you can start from a specialty like I did, I have a PhD in nutritional biochemistry. But then I realized, oh, man, I'm not helping people at the level that I could be, I got to go learn about these other things, too. And that can be fun and reinvigorate your own career when you do so. I know for me, as a musician, but also in health, I like to kind of go from little specialty and rabbit hole to rabbit hole. And one thing that I'm super intensely interested in for three to six months might really disappear and I might not do it again for a few years even. But when you allow yourself to do that, instead of just being really territorial over your specialty, I've seen people can really grow in profound ways. Absolutely. I don't know if you've had a chance to read David Epstein's book Range yet. Um, I haven't, no. If you haven't, it's incredible. It's one of the best books that I've read in the last few years. And his thesis is essentially this. We are often pointed to deep specialists because they make great media stories, right? right. Especially someone who's like been a prodigy, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, he, in the book, he uses like a Tiger Woods in golf, and we often look at like chess prodigies, you know, someone who's like four years old and beating grown men on the golf course. Right. And um, these make for great little hooky media stories, but they're not representative of what it takes for mastery. And people who have real mastery, you know, people who are inventing things, people who end up being successful in the long haul, generally don't have deep specialization, but they have range. They have a bunch of weird things that on its face, you, you see these people almost like apologizing for, well, you know, I spent a few years doing this and then I spent a few years doing this and <laughs> yeah. I know it feels like I have career ADD. And it's these folks who can draw from the learnings in the different disciplines that they've played around with to solve new problems in the discipline that they're working on now. So it's a really passionate argument, super well written for this idea of range, for this idea of, you know, maybe career wise, you'll work in a specific lane, but 
spending time in all these disparate areas of learning so you can draw from, because most of us solve problems through analogy. Ray Dalio talks about it in his book, Principles. Wisdom is essentially going, ah, another one of those, right? right? So I've seen this kind of thing before over there, never here, but over there. And how do we deal with that over there? Oh, maybe we'll try that here. And that's what a lot of innovation is, right? It's not making something up out of thin air. It's just saying, oh, I've seen that done over there, but no one's ever applied it here. The only way you would have seen it over there is if you looked at something, not the thing you're looking at all the time, right? And I mean, I, I learned this, you know, I remember when I was a, an undergrad, I did a paper on the discovery of the double helix and DNA, right? And Watson and Crick were the guys who discovered this. Uh, and neither of them was a geneticist, right? They didn't, they didn't study genetics. They studied chemistry and they were in other areas. And so when they came into genetics, they had this fresh take on it. And they said, oh, I saw something like this over in chemistry. Let's try solving this. Oh, wow. And then, bam, they discover the, the fundamental structure of DNA. So I think it's um, a super interesting thing. Most people who read the book who've been generalists in their lives or who have, like, disparate passions and stuff feel so validated because they're like, yeah. man, my life is, you know, people make fun of me for being this way, right? But also, you know, I think almost everyone who reads the book loves it because, how many people are really single-minded, spend their whole lives on one thing specialists? You know, almost no one, right? Yeah. I love that we're talking about this, you and I, because I, I see all your musical instruments in the background, <laughs> yeah, right? Scattered around so this me. is like, <laughs> this is one part of your disparate personality. You know Absolutely. What I mean? And now we're talking about health and fitness and nutrition and career. And it feels like to the outsider who wants to simplify a person that those two shouldn't go together. You know, but they do and often in beautiful ways, in ways that are more helpful than someone who only focuses on one thing. Oh, absolutely. Because I get tendonitis and lactic acid buildup in my tiny little fingers when I'm doing guitar solos and practicing piano scales. And I have problems with my vocal cord and, and opening my jaw in the right way. And I need to sense that in the same way that I do when I'm out running or doing push-ups or doing heavy lifts. I see these things as just like, oh, I know what that is. Or, or I know mm -hmm. I can do these stretches and open up the shoulder because it's connected to this and maybe I can run my scale faster and not mess up the next time. Those transferable skills are more valuable than people realize. And and one thing that's so important there that I did learn from music is that you need to spend especially a lot of your practice time working on your weaknesses, which is pretty easy to say and a nice cliche, but is it something that you actually do, right? Because like when you actually go into your workout or your practice, it's really easy to just get into that groove and do that same thing that you do and, and not really challenge yourself. So one thing I wanted to ask you was, especially because you've been operating at a high level but in different ways over the course of your career. Let's just talk about athletics first. How are you adapting yourself and, and your goals over the years? Yeah, I mean, you know, lately what I've been doing is master's level track and field. Um, so that's been a really fun thing and also so helpful, I think, for physical health and, and longevity. You know, I mean, for years I was very interested in bodybuilding. So I compete in bodybuilding and powerlifting at a high level. And I was, you know, I did that and that develops a certain kind of body, you know, and then when I got to my, you know, late thirties, I'm, I'm in my late forties now, but when I got to my late thirties, I was like, okay, so spending all this time at the gym is somewhat counterproductive to my goals right now. Number one, 
you know, we have a family. And so being like, oh, daddy's going to go to this place where you can't go. It's actually maybe dangerous for you for all these hours in a week. Didn't feel like it was serving that family goal. And then also, you know, as I was getting older, I'd have new aches and pains related to heavy lifting, uh, mobility issues. And so I was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was an activity I could do outside that my family could engage in as well, that helped with mobility, that still preserved my strength and power, and and also allow me to compete in something, right? Because I I feel like humans fundamentally, at, at different levels, there's probably standard deviations from the mean, but want to compete, right? Want to test themselves in certain capacities. And that doesn't mean like competing for a ribbon or a medal, but they want to test themselves, you know, like they need a challenge. uh, They need a carrot in the future, right? I mean, uh, we were just talking about this, you know, we spend the winter in, in Scottsdale. And so half a mile outside my door is Camelback, which is, I mean, it's rated extremely difficult of a hike, right? And so do people actually enjoy the hike up Camelback? Like if you go fast, let's say my wife and I go for time, right? We can get up there in 30 minutes or less. And that's fast, by the way. Yeah, that, your lungs that's are a good burning, time. Your leg, <laughs> like, is it fun? You know, um, no, <laughs> but <laughs> it feels great when you're done. Right. What is that? It's that fundamental desire to compete, compete against the mountain or whatever. So anyway, so I was like, track is the perfect thing. It'll allow me to compete in something. It'll allow me to do it with my family, bring the whole family to the track. They could see me being active. They can participate in it. And also the drills, you know, like the warm ups and the, the skill practice for track is essentially dynamic mobility drills. You know, it's what people always tell you to do before weightlifting and no one ever does. Right. You know, um, <laughs> the workout is actually that. Right. So it's not like you're you can skip that. And so for me, that's just become the thing that's been really interesting to me. Like, how can I find activities that we can do as a family? I still want to look good, though. You know, I built a lot of muscle when I was younger. I still want the muscle, you know. Yeah. Um, I want to fill out my T-shirts and not buy a whole new wardrobe. I want to preserve my power, right, which is one of the things that diminishes with age. You can keep strength. You can keep uh, conditioning. But power is the thing that diminishes first as you get older. So for me, that's that's sort of been the new, you know, metamorphosis and the new thing that this decade has been about, you know, I still am in the weight room a couple days a week, but it's less of a big part of, you know, what I'm doing physically. And then another part is just what other fun activities, you know, like I mentioned, we're, we're hiking one, two days a week as our activity as well. So how do we blend the things that we enjoy with things that help with our goals? uh, And you're allowed to have whatever goals you want, as diverse as they need to be. And then also, how do I include the people that I care about? So that's kind of what physical stuff's happening for me right now. Yeah, that's cool. And I can notice from the video that you are a little bit more tan than usual when you're living in Canada. So I wanted to ask <laughs> about, because I also, have, I grew up in the north and moved down south. And my brother went to school at McGill in, in Canada. So I spent a bunch of time up there. But you've been healthy in multiple places, and, and I assume your family as well. And so I'm wondering, some people tend to kind of use that as an excuse, right? It's it's too hot in Arizona right now in the summer, right? Or it's too cold in Canada in, in the winter. So what are some of the adaptations that you've made or, or how have you made sure as a family that you don't fall into the wrong sort of pattern? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I remember I, like I did that when I moved to Canada at first because I grew up in the States. 
when I move up to Canada, it's damn cold. And then, you know, the thing that I learned was the first like iteration of my mental evolution. Well, you know, I started out, it's cold in the winter, I'll just stay inside, you know, whatever. And then I learned, oh, wait, no, no, Canadians understand it's just about the gear that you have. If you have the right, right. winter clothes, yep. it doesn't feel so crappy, right? All right, cool. So I got the right gear and I'm like, this is amazing, right? And then the second mental evolution happened, right? I think the first one permitted it, right? The second mental evolution was I need stuff to get excited about in the winter, you know, not just tolerate, like, okay, it's not sucky when I wear the right clothes, but what fun stuff can we do, you know? And that started to happen right around the same time we had kids, right? So I was like, we can do lots of fun winter activities. So for us, I mean, we don't live near mountains in Canada, so we're not like skiers, snowboarders, stuff like that. But we, we have snowmobiles, we can build huge snow forts, we can go sledding. So it becomes this like, wow, we get to ski or, or snowmobile and yeah. sled and build our forts. And so, I mean, when the winter comes, uh, last year we built a snow fort that had multiple chambers, long tunnels connecting them. You know what I mean? So it just that, that becomes part of the winter thing. The other thing we're really fortunate is we have a gym, right? We have a detached garage on our property that's about 1,000 square feet. And we built out nice. a really functional space there. So as a family, in the winter, we're out there. You know, in the summer, we're out there. In the spring, we're out there. Down here, uh, right now, I, I just posted a picture on my Instagram today. It was like 109 yesterday in Scottsdale. It's so hot. And, uh, yeah, it's real hot. Like, you start melting teach, into the pavement. <laughs> yeah, I had to teach the kids, like, don't go outside bare feet because they keep wanting to run outside bare feet. I'm like, you yeah. will scald like this. It Seriously. won't be good for you. Yeah. So then what we do is we just do our family physical activity first thing in the morning and then again in the evening. Right. So our youngest is three. She jumps in a carrier with me. So I'll, I'll do an hour walk with her in the carrier. The boys uh, who are five and seven will go for a bike with us. And so we just, you know, we do it when it's cooler. And so to your point, you know, it's really about making some kind of commitment to moving every single day. Obviously, perfection is the enemy of progress, right? You, you might not be able to do the perfect thing every day, but we can do something every day, you know, and that's really our goal. And right now in the time of COVID-19 or whatever, you know, we're not going to the gym. It's 110 here in Scottsdale. We're finding other ways like at Precision Nutrition, they just published an article that Craig Weller, who's like the head of programming there, and I have talked about for years. But the idea is it, he calls them trigger workouts. So it's like, you know, conventionally what you might do if you go to the gym for strength training is you'd go and you do a couple hundred good reps broken up over sets during a concentrated hour long period. OK, well, what if. What if you don't want to do it that way? Or what if you want to reverse the pattern, right? The pattern of working out is you do this one thing for an hour and the rest of the day you sit. Right. What if you broke that up and you did 20 mini workouts throughout the day? Like what if you put a couple kettlebells in locations that in your house that you would trip over and when you walk by them, you do 20 kettlebell swings or cleans or presses or whatever, right? And so we've been playing around with that. Like, what if we just do 20 mini workouts every day? What if every time 
me or the kids has to pass a specific portion in the house, we have to do 10 push-ups. Not as penalty, but we get to do 10 push-ups, you know? And so the idea of it is triggering activity in your course of your daily wanderings, you know? And so we've been playing around with that right now, now that we're quarantined and uh, not really doing much except for walking around the neighborhood or going for a socially distanced hike just around the house, you know, collecting that physical activity over the 24 hours rather than in a one hour concentrated period. Yeah, I am such a fan of that. And I it's one of the things that gets me through long recording days, because sometimes I'll do five, eight in a day or, or even more than that. So it's just nonstop. But during those little breaks, I'll go outside, get fresh air, let the sun hit my eyes and my skin and start to relax just a little bit, get some blood flowing. And then pull-up bar over there, kettlebell back there, kettlebells all over the upstairs, and even just a few push-ups. But I feel like the trick is, at least for me with those micro mini workouts, is that you can't have too high of a commitment or it's like, I'm not going to do swings with the 70-pound kettlebell for a mini workout, but I might do some like pulls with it or I might do something a little bit like less aggressive. And so you kind of have to find your own way of doing it. That's what I'm trying to say. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't accumulate 20 super intense mini workouts in the day. That will wear you down. Uh, one person even asked, like, well, doesn't that suck to have to take that many showers a day? And I'm like, no, <laughs> if you have to take that many showers a day, you're doing it all wrong, right? That's like the test. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the talking test with your walking. If you want to stay in your fat burning zone, you should be able to talk to your neighbor. It's kind of like if you want to do these right, you shouldn't be having to shower after it, right? <laughs> I think that's a really good test. You might glisten a tiny bit, but that's that's fine. You don't need a shower after glisten. But I, I totally agree. Yeah, you're not you're not cranking it. You know, you're you're just accumulating. And the way that I think about it is just reps. How many reps would you normally do in an intense workout? Right. If you do like 15 sets of exercises, 10 reps, you're accumulating like 150 good reps in an hour long workout. OK, cool. Could you get those 150 spread over the day? right? You probably double that. You probably could quadruple that, right? But if you quadruple it, you, they can't be as intense, right? So I love how you're talking about doing it too and even getting the sun on your skin. That's how we had it set up till it was 110 out here. Right. Ours were just in the little backyard and we would hit the backyard every day. And that's like the double dose of healthiness, right? It is. And it gives you like you, you might not like it right away. Or you're going to be like, why am I doing this? This seems stupid. But after you do it a few times and you kind of build that habit and your body and your mind learns to expect the payoff at the end, then it's a lot easier to do it. And you know why you're doing it because you feel so much better, even if you just get that little bit of heart rate elevation and the blood flowing and, and you get into a different mental state, or at least I do. And, and that's very important, no matter what you're doing throughout the day. And, and I think it's abnormal the way that most people do it to your point where you're concentrating doing this incredible workout and then you're just sitting around for the rest of the day. Not anyone's fault, by the way. That's literally like the way that our culture and society and, and business and, and all these corporations have been built or at least the way that they used to be. But we find ourselves now like whether we like it or not with this huge reset button. So how are you seeing our way of, of maybe adapting to to what's coming or what is what is health and fitness look like in the future to you? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not super optimistic that things are going to massively change, you know, and, and I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'm excited to be proven wrong. I liken what I think people will do next 
the analogy, as we talked about earlier, I look toward is, you know, I used to compete in bodybuilding. And what happens when you get ready for a bodybuilding contest? Well, you know it's going to be on a certain date, so you back calculate 12 to 16 weeks. And at that 12 to 16 week point, you ramp up your exercise and you start eating very, very little, right? And you tough it out because you know you have a contest. You know, at the end of the 16 weeks, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So you diet really hard. You restrict most of the foods you enjoy eating. You eat less than normal. So even if you're eating foods that you like, uh, being in a calorie deficit causes cravings itself. You know, so you could just be eating ice cream and hamburgers in a calorie deficit and still you feel crappy, you know, but you're like, cool. But the contest will be on this day. I'll look amazing. And then everyone's best intention is, oh, well, after the contest, I'll reverse diet, what people call it. So I'll add a couple hundred calories a week, slowly add back up so I don't gain too much. But no one does that. Right. Like no one <laughs> no. reverse diets no. after a hard show. They just eat everything and their appetite is so crazy high because it's the restriction that's been happening. It's physical. It's like a physiological phenomenon and a psychological one. And they gain 30 pounds in two or three weeks. Yeah. Or even a weekend. I've heard 25, 30 pounds in a weekend. And that's people of normal size. You know, I, I competed in the Mr. USA bodybuilding competition in 1995. So a lot of these guys are 250 or whatever. Those guys could gain 60 pounds in <laughs> one or two weeks, you know? And so... I'm like, what humans want to be is the people who can just add things slowly in until, you know, they get back to a new steady state. Who humans mostly are is once the contest is over, we just binge. So most of me feels like that's what's going to happen. So when restrictions are lifted, when people aren't asked to social distance, when businesses are allowed to open, I feel like we'll do the bodybuilding contest diet equivalent. People will just rush out in an orgiastic feast of activity because they've been socially isolated. They haven't been able to go to restaurants. They haven't been able to have the freedoms to do the things that they're used to doing. And the logical consequence is, well, we should do this in the safest possible way. We want to do this in the safest possible way. We won't do this in the safest possible way. <laughs> We're just going to rush out into the world and try and make it as normal as it used to be because that will feel right to us. I feel like there's a very collective breath holding right now, right? It's like, I'm going to hold my breath till this is all over and then I'll exhale. And it's not lasted long enough to force us to be a new way. Two months isn't much. We can hold breath for two months. You know, We can hold on to normal in our brains for two months. If this lasted a year, I think people would start fundamentally changing you know, their expectations from the world, their way of being. I just think it's too short to fundamentally change. It's a contest diet. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Long, it's not even as long as a contest diet. So that's, again, I'm happy to be proven wrong. You know, but what I know about human psychology suggests to me that when we feel like we're allowed to do all the things we used to do, we're going to do them plus some extra percent because we haven't been able to do them. With that said, when we talk about, let's say, gyms, for example, there may be some changes in what's being offered, right? But I mean, think of the interesting consequences. Let's say 25% of the gyms in your town close, right? Well, that means that all the people who are going to come back out and exercise 
can only go to three quarters of the spaces they used to. So I think gyms are going to be more crowded, not because more people are exercising, but because there may be fewer than them. And that'll set another interesting thing in place. You know what I mean? Like what will be the knock on effects of that? So I don't know. I'm, I don't have a crystal ball here, but I think people are going to try and get back to normal as fast as possible. And uh, maybe they'll forget some of the things that happened during this time because everyone's saying it when they greet each other. Weird times, isn't it? Right. But I think what you were hinting at is, man, Maybe not so weird, actually. Like maybe this is how people live for most of human history. Not so regimented, not so scheduled, not so determined by the structures that tell us how to be, right? So maybe it's not so weird times, but I don't know that people will be like, I learned some really important lessons and I'm going to be different in the world now. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, one thing that might have some answers in it that I really wanted to ask you because you've worked with so many elite level athletes. And one thing that you see happen that's kind of similar to what you were just talking about after competition is after this person's retired or their career is over in, in that performance part or really the competition part is over, you either see them completely fall off the wagon, gain a bunch of weight and just like be completely unathletic and maybe die early or you see them kind of live forever and stay in shape and into their 90s. And that's not everybody, obviously. That's that's kind of the exception. But how do we trend toward that? Right. Yeah, it's a good question. I was thinking about this actually the last few days because I don't know if you've seen or heard of the Last Dance documentary. But uh, basically it, yeah. the – yeah, okay. So the Chicago Bulls from the 90s, you know, where – uh, often considered one of the greatest sports franchises ever. You know, they had Michael Jordan, who everyone knows, and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman. It was a really unique collection of people. Yeah. And so during their last season together, a documentary filmmaking crew had access to them. And they hadn't put anything together from that. And that was like 1997. So here we are, wow. you know, 20 some years later, and they release a 10 part documentary about that season, highlighting the figures. And, uh, I mean, it's a fascinating documentary, maybe one of the best sports documentaries that's ever been made. And um, one of the many things running through my brain was, you know, they're interviewing some of these athletes now who are 20 years, sometimes more past their prime. And some of them look phenomenal and some of them look not so good. Right. And so obviously part of that can be attributed to genetics. Right. You, you can thank your parents for that and they can thank their parents and you go all the way back to when your gene line started. Right. And the other thing is obviously some choices that people have made, right, since then. And uh, in some interesting way, I think we all have to face the same challenge. We might not be pro athletes who are retiring, but you and I, before we started recording, talked about changes in stages of life. And I think that's really what we're talking about, right? You were in the athlete stage of your life. Now, it wasn't a mini death per se, but you changed a stage, right? And now who are you going to be in this new stage? And so... I think it's a question we all have to answer for ourselves as new stages of life, a new move, a new relationship, having children, children moving out, a new career. All of these things are triggers for a choice, right? They ask you to choose and not intentionally choosing is also a choice, right? And so 
Who will I be? What is my goal in this new phase? How am I going to bring the best practices from the last phase into this one? Or how will I adopt some new one into this new phase? Are all things we have to think about. It's really top of mind for me because in late 2017, you know, I sold Precision Nutrition. It's what I had done for almost my entire career because prior to that, I was a you know eternal student. And then, I mean, it was a very positive thing, but it went away, right? And then that big, huge thing dominating most of my life and a lot of my identity uh, was gone. And so it was like a process of becoming really intentional about who I will be in this new phase, you know, and, and that's everything from how will I exercise and eat to how will I spend my days to how will I interact with my family to how will I interact with other professionals? You know, will I work in health and fitness again or not? You know, and a lot of, I mean, that's what the book you held up earlier. Changemaker was about actually, it was about me capturing everything that I think I learned in 30 years in health and fitness, putting that down, giving that to the industry and then saying, I may never work in this field again. I'm not sure. Right. But here you go. I'm, I think I might be done with this. Yeah. And maybe on other things. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of a high level view. And this is just my this is how I am in the world. And I always feel like the need to apologize for it a little bit. I think you can't enter into a question like how should you exercise after your career is over as an athlete without talking about the f- mental philosophy first and then get into the tactics. Right. So it's like you got to get your head right. And then we can talk about what to do, right? And for a lot of athletes, you know, because I've worked with loads, you know, the way for them to stay healthy, if you want to call it that, after athletics is often just a simple departure from what they used to do. I mean, you've talked to people. uh, If you were a competitive rower at the Olympic level, don't think rowing is going to be the thing that keeps you in shape after you retire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you were a competitive sprinter, you may never sprint again, you know? So what other activities can you find that are different enough from the thing you used to do so that you're not making these comparisons to how you used to be? There's nothing that feels worse than going to the track and getting slower every time, you know? And you're getting slower intentionally because you're retiring from your sport. But when you're slow and you see people you used to be beating and then one day a high school girl passes you, you know, you're like, all right, this isn't, It doesn't feel good. My ego takes a blow. So it's often what activity can I do that's a real departure, you know? And I I think these departures are critical. And I'll give you an example. You know, after I sold PN and we did a, a proper transition out of my roles, I realized that for many years, my routine looked like this. I'd wake up, I'd, you know, go out to the kitchen, start prepping lunches for the kids, help Amanda get the kids ready for school. She would drive them to school. I would turn on the teapot, sit on the counter, take some deep breaths, do a whatever, meditation, get my tea when it was ready, walk this path to my office. So, I mean, you're talking about 10 years of walking the same path through my house every Monday through Friday, right? Like it's a well-worn path. Now, you sell your company. What are you inevitably going to do every day? The same thing. After the kids leave and you do your thing and you grab your tea, you're going to pad that same path to your computer, but now something's going to be different. Like this precision nutrition thing isn't going to need you anymore, right? So how am I going to stay out of that? Because that's not my thing. Like I'm going to show – because you know we were always a remote company, so we used Slack as a way of communicating with each other, which is like a you know group chat rooms and stuff. 
And I was like, I know I'll sit there. There'll be no tasks for me. I'll just be bothering people in Slack, you know, (laughs) because that's the habit, right? (laughs) What you'll be doing is just running a program that you have, you know, grooved for so long. So I'm like, I have to do something different enough. So what I started doing was after I had the tea, I would go to the gym, right? So I'm like, I'm going to walk a totally different path so that I don't find myself in the same path going, how did I even get to this computer? How did I even get on Slack today? Yeah, yeah. You know? And I think that's, for me, like a bit of an illustration or analogy for what we have to do when we go through these transitions from sport to not sport, from old relationship to new relationship, parent to kids moved away, you know? We have to think like, there are grooves in my life that I'm going to be stuck in unless I create a different routine. And that routine isn't some huge thing. It's literally the footsteps that you take and the path you walk Mm -hmm. through your current life, right? It could be the hallway you walk down, change the hallway you walk down, and maybe you end up walking to a totally different place in your life. Yeah. And sometimes I'll just kind of add on to that with something that recently happened. We turn our internet off at night most of the time and we just do it manually we could set it up automatically but we do it manually and so a lot of times in the morning i'll wake up and i'll like grab a device or something and like boot it up and there's no internet and i'm like oh i don't want to be here anyway (laughs) (laughs) yes that's such a perfect example i used to tell this story like you know you start becoming self-aware at a certain point in your life and you watch yourself be the way you're being right and i remember watching myself one day and this is just such a simple story but you know take creatine in my tea every morning, right? And so you do that long enough. And every day you go out, you start making the tea, you're not thinking about it. And you grab the creatine and put it down. So one day you run out of creatine. And it literally takes me five days of swiping at the (laughs) non-existent creatine bottle before I realize it's not there, dummy. Right. You know? Yeah. And then if you take a week of not grabbing the creatine, when you order new creatine, you forget to grab it. This is just how, you know, I, I always say that humans are so cute and adorable in the way that we are. You know what I right. mean? And not in a patronizing <laughs> way. We just have these little things. Are, it's like we constantly have to figure out ways to dance with the little tricks our brains are playing on ourselves. You know what I mean? So it's like a game of outsmart yourself all the time. And so, yeah, like you're like grabbing the device and you're like, why, why isn't this internet working? What the heck? Oh, wait, I turned the internet off now. Oh, on purpose. Okay. Things are fine. This is how I want to be. But it's great because if you don't set the environment, telling yourself not to go on the internet in the morning doesn't work because you're on it before you even choose, right? And this is this is how I think we have to be with all aspects of our life, with our fitness, with our relationships, with our work. How intentional can I be? And then once I set the philosophical intention, how can I create the environment to support that? Yeah. Absolutely. I can't believe it, but we're almost out of time. So before we go, why don't we talk about Changemaker a little bit? And also the other stuff, now that you have this whole new career that you're looking at and, you know, you have all this other stuff in the rearview mirror, I'm curious about what, you know, what you're looking at in the future. Yeah. So, so Changemaker again is is just simply me saying, how can I most authentically capture the things that I learned over the last 30 years, you know, running a business that eventually sold for 
you know, close to $200 million and coached 200,000 people and certified 150,000 professionals, you know? So I, I think we created a special thing and recognized as that pretty universally in the field. How could I share everything that I learned in an authentic way? And that's what made it really hard to write because it's easy to write cliches and things that you've heard before. It's hard to evaluate every single thing that's tripping out of your mouth and say, do I really believe this? Or is this what I think people would say in this moment, you know, in this part of the book? And so it took me two years to do that culling process, you know, and it took actually it took 15 people. You know, there's this process I, I use called thinking aloud and I describe it in the book where you simply can't know if your work's good enough. It's in the space between you and other people that you find out where good ideas live, right? You ultimately have to be the decider. You know, you're the creator of, or the, the curator of your creations, you know, but without playing in that space between you and others, you just never know if things are good enough. So I brought 15 people together. I gave them an all, all a Google uh, document version of the book, the best version that I had done, you know, and, uh, and I had them do this thinking aloud process, which isn't an editing process. What I have them do is just say how they're, what they're thinking and feeling and reacting to in the margins of the document. Right. And so it's like, this joke is great. This joke is terrible. I don't think you really meant to say this. I don't get this at all. It's not a time to be polite. And it's not a time to find grammar errors. It's a time to react as an authentic human would to work, but so I can hear it, yeah. so I can make it better, right? Yeah, yeah. So it took two years and all of that. But the gist of it is, how can you navigate a life that has work in it? You know, And health and fitness people are my people, so I wrote the examples for them, but it's really a universally applicable book. You know, How do you view career? How do you identify your unique abilities, your values, your purpose, and even your origin story? Like what made you, what radioactive spider bit you and turned you into that thing that you have the potential to be right now? And then we go through, you know, business, you know, what, what does that mean? What does that look like in the context of your own unique abilities and values and purpose coaching, you know, and that almost is a fetishized word to me nowadays. What I really mean is how do you be with other people effectively? You know, whether you're parenting, whether you're le doing leadership or whether you're coaching clients, it's all the same thing. How do I be effective with other people? And then there's education. How do you look at education? And then my favorite part is reputation. How do you build a reputation so that when you walk in the room, people are happy to see you? People want to work with you. People want to do business with you. And so it's everything I've learned there. And I'm so incredibly proud of the book. It was hard. It was hard to do, you know, because I wanted it to be excellent. And uh, it's done extremely well. I mean, it's actually uh, Tuesday. The fifth was its six month anniversary of being born into the world. Nice. Uh, we've sold over 50,000 copies now. Wow. We've got almost all five-star reviews. We have no one or two-star reviews on Amazon. So it's just, it's done really well. And for me, the metric though, wasn't sales or whatever it was. Am I going to create something that'll bring real value to the people who go through it? And I say go through it because as you see, it's not just a read before bed book. There's activities, there's worksheets, right. there's scripts. Uh, this is a 
do the workbook, right? Like you're going to answer questions and you're going to do some deep dives and you're going to fill out some things and you're going to practice some stuff on friends and family. And that's how you're going to get something out of this book. So without going on and on too much about it, I'd love anyone who works in health and fitness to check it out. And even folks who don't work in health and fitness, but are searching for some way to really leverage who they are uniquely and bring something out in the world for other people uh, to figure out how to do that effectively. Totally. What's the best place to find you in your book, John? So the book is everywhere, you know, so you can get it on the Amazons and those kind of places. Also, uh, we created a new business around it called the Changemaker Academy. And so that's has all the listings for where you can get the book and the other things that we're going to be offering down the line. So changemakeracademy.com or again, for the book, Amazons and, and all the other places where you buy books, you can find it there. Awesome stuff. Well, I highly recommend it. I have taken some high-level, extremely expensive courses and and classes in the past, and I can say that you get your bargain with this book because um, you'll get some work done. If you follow it, you go through it, and, and you kind of go through the things that you recommend, John. There's a lot of work that you can do on your, on yourself and on your business and where you want to go, and, and we all could do a little bit more of that work, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. Take a step back and be like, why am I here again? Maybe we should all mm-hmm. – Shut the internet off too, you know, in our yeah, totally. yeah, I mean, my, as I talk about in the book, my way of doing that was thinking Fridays, you know, I would block off Fridays, Mondays and Tuesdays were for creative work. Wednesdays and Thursdays were for all the meetings that inevitably come up when you have a business. And then Fridays were thinking Fridays. And that was where I would do exercises like this. I would find believable experts who could coach me on new decisions or how to seize opportunities or deal with challenges. So yeah, I, I agree. You know, nowadays there's a bit of a fetishization on action taking. You know, you go to a seminar and at the very end people are like, so what I need you to do is go home and take action. Because unless you take action, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right? yeah. Action takers are the people. I actually think you need to think first for right. a minute. Yeah. You know, because blind action taking can just run you into brick walls all day long, oh, yeah. right? What you want to do is take correct action, you know? And that means having a thoughtful plan to begin with. And you and I are going to head nod at this because we're both sort of biased towards time and reflection, you know, trying to be thoughtful and intentional. But, you know, the people who are like, nah, I don't know about that are the ones who need this most, right? right. They're the ones who have to realize that's you know, having a strategy, a direction, I want to head in this direction. This is my goal. This is what I want to accomplish. Okay. Now I'm going to be a mad, crazy action taker, you know, but first point me in the right direction. Right. (laughs) Well, John, we need your work more than ever. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who's listened or watched or however you're consuming this. Um, I really appreciate you spending time with us today and I hope we provided some value for you. Hey folks, this is Abel James, New York Times bestselling author and creator of the Fat Burning Man Show. I've got a quick video here today about future greens from our family company, Wild Superfoods. So what is future greens? Well, it's a combination of shelf-stable fruits and veg that will keep you going on the road uh, when you're camping 
or through the worst of the zombie apocalypses. <laughs> we hear that kids love this. We have some kids in the family, lots of nieces and nephews, and we've taste tested this all over the country. <laughs> and uh, old and young alike, everyone in between, they seem to appreciate the flavor as well as the nutrients that you get. But one, one thing I think is really important uh, at Wild Superfoods, my wife and I have been testing hundreds uh, maybe even thousands of powders and supplements and botanicals and nutraceuticals and various things over the years. And if they're powders, we believe that they should taste good. That if they taste like fish tank or they taste disgusting, or if you get fish burps from, you know, fish oil supplements, it's not, you're not going to keep taking it. I know I won't. So we do our very best to make sure it tastes good and future greens taste good, whether it's just water or you're adding it to your favorite smoothie. But anyway, you mix this powder in with, with water, juice, or a smoothie. And uh, what you're getting is a combination of over 15 different ingredients, organic spirulina, organic barley grass juice, organic wheat grass juice, organic chlorella, organic nettle leaves, organic spinach, organic carrot, organic beet, organic tomato, organic kale, organic parsley, organic kale sprout, organic cauliflower sprout, organic broccoli sprout, and then for the fruits, organic apple, organic raspberry, organic cranberry, organic blueberry, camu camu berry extract, and then you get an ORAC proprietary blend as well of grape seed extract, grape skin extract, and a prebiotic and enzyme blend with organic burdock root and different enzymes as well. So all of this, once again, with one gram of sugar, and it's sweetened as well with a bit of organic stevia. So you get the good flavor without sacrificing, you know, like <laughs> falling on the sword and having a bunch of sugar at the same time, because God knows you can go crazy with smoothies. So this is a way to make sure that you get your nutrients in your smoothie or your drink is kind of getting a source of whole food multivitamins. You can think of it that way. And it's going to improve the flavor of most things that, that you mix it with. Now, I wouldn't recommend mixing it with anything dairy related, like you don't want to be mixing it with heavy green. It's uh, These are greens, remember. So uh, greens and fruits. So anyways, if you're interested in future greens, this is one of our very favorites. We've taken it all over the world with us and we hope you like it too. You can test it yourself and see how you like it over at wildsuperfoods.com. Once again, Future Greens over at wildsuperfoods.com. This is Abel James signing off. We'll be in touch. Well, hey there, listener. This is Abel one more time, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of The Fat-Burning Man Show. If you liked it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to or watching this show right now. And if you have a second, please leave me a quick review for the Fat-Burning Man Show. I read every single one of them, and every time you leave a review, it gives us a little boost in the rankings, and that helps other people find this show. And if you can think of someone else who might enjoy and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or a family member. And if they're like, what is this Fat-Burning Man thing? That's a really silly name. You could be like, you're right, but here's the deal. We've recorded over 250 episodes of the Fat-Burning Man Show with thought leaders in health from all over the world. And so far, 
We've won four awards, hitting number one in health in more than eight countries internationally. We have more than 30 million downloads already, but we're just getting started. I can't believe any of this, by the way, and, and couldn't do any of this without you. So thanks once again. But here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode of the Fat Burning Man Show for free with zero outside advertisements, no outside sponsors, and no corporate overlords. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. We'll give you a, a second here just to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes, transcripts, and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of the Fat Burning Man Show for free. Better yet, enter your email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide so you can take your health into your own hands right now, along with a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free goodies with a bonus surprise straight to your inbox. This is Abel James signing off. Thank you so much for listening once again. And have a great week.